Hello, and thank you for listening. This is great. I'm sorry we have been away for so long. My life is crazy. Stephanie's is as well, but this is all my fault. So I just wanted to get on here and let you know that we will try our best to make this a weekly podcast, but I am promising you right now, you can get it in hearing that I will be uploading at least every other week, shooting for every week. Also, this week we'll be discussing the case of Stacy Castor. And recently I became aware that 2020 did like an updated segment on them, which I don't think added much to what we already had from the previous 2020 special. But anyway, um, this was filmed back in like December or November. So I did it first. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh my God. But that if there's more information in that that I didn't cover, that is why. Because I had already recorded this. Okay, my dog is annoying. Hear him breathe. He's eating. He's eating the microphone now. Okay, bye. Welcome. Are you gonna start it over? <laughs> I hate you so much. Okay. Um, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For real, this time. I will be doing another casting call for a Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jokes on you. You have no other friends. <laughs> not a lie. I'm just kidding. I love you, but and you're, you're amazing, wrong. and you should have more friends. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Um. We're- Tate's mad at me for being mean no, to you. He, yeah, no, actually, he's like, keep it up, keep it up. She's an idiot. No, uh, <laughs> it's like the up. Grinch. You're an idiot. I'm an idiot. His toy was underneath a cart, and he couldn't get it, so he was barking at the cart, telling it to move. Ah, using his brain. All right. I always start the episodes with "All right." All right. <laughs> Welcome to the episode of a number that I am not aware of. You know the one where... An all right podcast. (laughs) And a mediocre podcast brought to you by mediocre people. All right, then. (laughs) So I am Stevie, and that is Stephanie. Sup. Oh my god, I'm so lame. (laughs) I was gonna say, we are super cool. But I'm secure in that lameness. Oh yeah, we're super cool non-lame chicks we got all the coolness in our bodies please go back to the minnesota accent okay okay sorry so (laughs) okay so this week we will be discussing a case that i am super excited about and i hope you are too the case that i am covering is stacy castor don't know it I don't think I know it, but I'm very bad with names. I am excited to tell you this one. This one I saw forever ago on some kind of TV show, and I was listening to... I can't remember. I was listening to a podcast, and all of a sudden her like case came to my forefront of my brain, and I was like, oh yeah, what case is that? I remember really liking it, and I couldn't remember her name, so I did one of those odd Google searches where you're like... <laughs> like the little facts of the case. Like, yeah. murder where... <laughs> Yeah. Woman dies off of building. Turns out her husband was behind her and pushed her off. But luckily, trampoline was at bottom of staircase and... (laughs) Are you just, like, trying to, like, give me novel ideas? (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to not lead you down the real what happened in this case. (laughs) I was wondering. I was like, oh, my God, is she going to give it away right now? That's so dumb. (laughs) Nope. None of that happened. That was all just me being a fictional writer. Or was it? Don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> okay, so let's just start from the beginning. Stacy Castor. She met Mike Wallace when she was 17 and they fell in love. And they dated for about three years. So when she was about 20, they decided they would get married. It is said that Mike was a big personality and that he was the life of the party. Stacy said that Mike had a problem with drugs and alcohol, but he they loved each other and they kind of worked through these problems and eventually had kids together and the kids kind of straightened Michael out and their family started to grow. They had two children, Ashley and Bree. The oldest Ashley is said to have not had a super close relationship with their father Michael and that Michael really loved his second daughter Bree and that Bree was his favorite, so it was kind of it, it's reported to be a contentious relationship. Mm. So 
So it's not sure. I mean, it's kind of, this is one of those stories where there's two sides of the spectrum, two sides of the court. So you're getting information about each side. So I'm going to try to give you like an unbiased, like what this said and what this said um, so that you can kind of see it. But so in the beginning- This is what they say, that Michael referred to his second daughter, Bree, as his princess, and that Ashley and him didn't really get along, that they didn't have the best relationship, but he still was her father, and they, they still loved each other. So Michael and Stacy's relationship kind of started to deteriorate, and they were contemplating getting a divorce, so they decided to wait after the holidays around Christmas time to eventually get a divorce, but they didn't want to upset the holiday season, so they were like, we'll wait until after, and we'll start, like, potentially working on a divorce. But the divorce never happened because Mike started to get very sick. He had alcohol problems at one point in his life and he was kind of exhibiting weird behavior similar to drinking too much alcohol or alcohol poisoning. He had slurred speech. He was walking funny. He had headaches. He was nauseous. He was just being strange. And so he called his family and I think they told him like, you need to go to the doctor. So he was going to go to the doctor the next day. But all of a sudden, Ashley comes home from school one day and Mike is laying on the couch motionless. He's still alive, but he's like making contorted faces. And she's 11 at the time. So she's like, he's in pain. Kind of like she just, so she was 11. And so she, she said he was making funny faces. You know, she doesn't know. She didn't know what's going on, but she said he was making. Oh, that's gotta be so scary. Yeah. Like his eyes were rolling in the back of his head. I think he was having trouble breathing. And she said he was kind of convulsing and his arms were being weird. But like I said, she's 11. So she thinks that he might just be weird. And so he all of a sudden like laid flat like he was sleeping so she was like I don't know what's going on but she had to go pick up her little sister Brie from school so she didn't know what was going on so she went and picked up Brie she came back home and he was still acting weird so she called her mom and said hey mom dad's being weird he's on the couch I think something's wrong so the mom came home and the mom found him and then called 911 so Stacy called 911 they brought an ambulance and on the way to the hospital Mike died But, okay, so he's making these weird faces and doing things with his arms, almost maybe like a seizure? Almost, yeah, almost like that. Like, they never really, because she was so young when it happened, there's very little, It's confusing. Yeah, because she said the weird faces and his arm was raised up in the air, but then his arm fell flat. So it's kind of like 11-year-old explaining maybe a seizure or maybe, like, someone having trouble breathing. And it said, like... Okay. So they take him to the hospital... Wait, I'm not done with this. <laughs> no, I know. I was going to say... I was just going to say that it was determined to be a heart attack. So that kind of helps a little bit with the arm. Like, he, his left arm was up in the air. That kind of thing. Oh, oh, okay. So, like, but he's making, like, the weird things. And then she, then he went motionless. Mm-hmm. And then she left and came back. And he was motionless still? Or he was back to making the weird faces? It's not determined. So... Like I said, I I researched this in a multitude of avenues, including, you know, multiple media outlets, but as well as like online and reading through articles. And so in one of them, it says that Ashley called her mom right away and her mom came over and saw her dad and called 911. And that's when he laid motionless. But then the second one said that she went and picked Brie up. So it's not determined if he laid motionless before he got Brie or after he got after she got Brie. But basically, at some point, he went motionless. And I think he didn't wake back up again. Sad. And then he died. Okay, so then on the way to the hospital, he dies. Yep. It's ruled to be the death caused by a heart attack. Now, was he over alcoholism and drugs after he had the kids? He kind of, he, that's what made him, you said he straightened out. So was he over playing with these things? Yes. For the most part, he ended up getting a DUI at one point and it had to, had a short prison stint. And so it said that after that, and after realizing what he put his family through and the, his two daughters, he kind of started to straighten out and be more of a family man and was really focused on his job and his family. So I think that at this point, he had stopped, you know, having a problem with the drugs and alcoholites. It's not said if he stopped drinking, period, but he stopped for like drinking and doing drugs in excess. Oh, okay. Since Mike had had passed of smoking and drinking, they ruled the death a heart attack, so they had a funeral. It said that Stacy was very non-emotional and stoic through the hospital and funeral, but because her daughters were children, it, people think that she might have been that way because the children were around and she trying to stay strong for the kids exactly i would be even though if i love somebody and i have two young children and they just did that i'd be upset and and yeah maybe i still love them but i could see it being like kind of reserved being like fuck this yeah yeah yep and we and we know that they were having troubles and that she had confided in friends that they were going to get a divorce so it's definitely a possibility that she was mad at him okay 
the family decides like that they're going to move forward. They bury Mike and they, you know, try to move forward as a family, the mom and her two daughters. However, a couple years later, police get another 911 call from Stacy Castor because her second husband, David Castor, has locked himself in his bedroom for a number of days and has not come out. So she remarries after a couple of years. Yeah, so I'll go more in depth into that, but this kind of sparked an entire investigation, so. Yeah, now, like, within two years, she's got two husbands who exactly. are being weird. Well, I guess we don't, you haven't said what happens to this husband, but I get, I'm guessing where it's going. Yep, and that's why I, it's Stacy Caster. <laughs> the title is kind you know, you kind of know what to expect, but. So Stacy calls 911. So she had gotten into a fight with David and that he was very upset and he took a bottle of alcohol and went straight into his bedroom and locked the door. She told the responding officer that she was worried about her husband because he was depressed and that there was a shotgun under his bed and she didn't know what he would do with it. And she was worried about him and that she had tried to contact him that morning and that he wasn't answering and he didn't show up to work. So she asked for the officer to come over and kind of help her check on him. So the officer shows up, knocks, asks for him to respond. He's not responding and he says, okay, I'm going to break down the door. So he breaks down the door and he finds David lying face down on the bed naked and he's deceased. Okay. Oh, naked. Yeah. Stacy asks the officer if David's okay and he's like, no, he's dead. And he calls the paramedics to come in and the paramedics go in and determine that he's deceased and there's no point in, you know, trying to save him. (laughs) The way you just said that. (laughs) What? <laughs> Officer, can you help me check on my husband? He goes in. He comes out. Hey, is she okay? No, he's dead. <laughs> just like... <laughs> well, he was very flippant. He was like, bitch, we know what you up to. <laughs> no bedside manner whatsoever. No, no, no. He was very nice about it <laughs> <laughs> you're sure he's like you weren't there <laughs> yeah no he they actually do talk about him like you know and then they call you paramedics might sit down yeah so i think they say he's not okay but they don't say he's dead yet because the paramedics still have to come in and determine yeah, actually pronounce mm-hmm. that he's dead yep so they get in there they see that he's been dead for a while or at least he's not able to be revived so the paramedics leave and that's when stacy starts freaking out saying that like he's not dead go back in there go help them make the paramedics go save him put him in the ambulance blah 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 and um She's freaking out. Investigators start looking into what's going on. So I'll go into a little bit of background about David and Stacy's relationship. So like I said, David was Stacy's second husband and he was a very successful businessman. He owned his own company and he and Stacy worked there together. And I think he gave Stacy the job after they were married. So I don't, they didn't meet that way. Mm. They had been married for two years before this incident. He was reported to be a great husband and always gave her what she wanted. He treated her like a princess and really loved her. He was very financially stable because because of the business that he owned and he was very he liked providing for them but he also liked buying toys and vacations and trips and so she was very because when she was with Michael she wasn't as financially stable they kind of struggled with money so I think that was kind of like made her love him even more because he was financially stable and he could give her something that she hadn't had before that makes sense that I could see how that would be attractive to someone yeah Yeah, because struggling is hard, and so if you find someone who you not only love, but also has financial stability, it kind of, you know... It sweetens the pie, for sure. And it makes you feel more That's what a lot of people look for. I mean, it's definitely, it's not a superficial thing. Like, when I'm dating, it's just like, do they have their life together? It's not that they have to be rich, but like, do they have their life enough to support themselves? Because I can only worry about me. I don't have to worry Mm -hmm. about them. Yep, and David had a son from a previous marriage, and Stacy had two daughters from a previous marriage, so there was a lot of of financial responsibility that they needed to have, you know, they needed to be able to cover. So, like I said, they'd both been previously married, so this was, like, their second chance at love. So, Stacy brought the two daughters into the relationship, and it's said that the relationship between their daughters and their stepdad, David, was very contentious. It was made Both of them? Yes, So not only did the daughters not like David, but David like made it clear he didn't like the daughters and that he didn't want more children. And I think the daughters were a struggle for him and they butt heads and the daughters just wanted their mom to themselves and he just wanted their mom to himself. And so there was just, they did not get along at all. Especially so quick after their uh, biological father died. Yeah. I don't think that the mom was very protective of that, you know? I think that she didn't look out for her daughter's best interest. And obviously this is biased because it's what I feel most, what should have been done is I think that her kids should have been the priority. And if your significant other is blatantly disrespecting your children, 
as much as I love some, I don't know, I'm not a mom, but I agree that like, if somebody could not get along with my kids, I don't know that as much as I'd love them, like, I, I could be with them. Cause I feel like there's a, there's a baseline of respect of maybe because guess what there are family members you don't like sometimes you love them but you don't like them and you deal with them and that's especially hard if it's a stepfather stepdaughter or even stepson because it's not you're not biologically related to them and not that that needs to matter but I think it does make it it's not like you had to grow up with them it's not like it's ingrained in you to have to deal with them so if you respect your partner you would have to at least respect the kids exactly you don't have to like them exactly and that's the main thing is it's not it's not just like a frustration, it's blatant disrespect on both ends. And I think right. that she didn't at least work to make it better. She just kind of like ignored it a little bit. And like, I'm not condoning kids disrespecting adults, but what? The oldest is 12 at this point, and how old is the youngest? So after once they got married, she's 14. And then the oldest, the youngest, I think, is. A couple years younger, 12, probably. Yeah, okay. Especially 14. Like, that is when they disrespect their parents. And that is when you teach them to not, but that's what they do. <laughs> you know? And that's just what happens. And it doesn't appear that they had an upbringing that was about, like, teaching them not to be disrespectful. It didn't seem like their household was very, what's the word? Functional? Yeah. It doesn't seem like it was the traditional. Yeah, order. like there were boundaries yeah. and expectations and yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Hoping obviously... Yeah, so obviously don't know what goes be on behind closed doors and, you know, all of this is speculation, but they did say that it was very contentious. But as Ashley got older, she and her stepdad actually, I guess, started to get along better. There was a couple years between when Michael died before she met David and that they dated for a couple of years and then got married. I think that her teenage daughters might have been actually older once they got married, but they were still teenagers when they started dating. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about what the timeline is because they're not saying how long it was between the time Stacy's first husband Mike died and when she met Oh, Dave. I thought you said that they got married two years after they were Michael married. died. No, no, no. They were married for two years before David died. So they had only been married for two years. Oh, I, oh, okay. So when I said they got married so quick, I thought they were ma- they were married at two, like Michael died. Uh, Within two years, she meets him and marries him. No, I think that they might have dated for two years, gotten married, and then were married for two years. So I think you're still right. And then he died. Got it. Yeah, so I think you're still right. I think that I think that they it was a pretty quick relationship after Michael had died, and that they were probably together for a couple years, then got married for a couple years, and then he died. Okay. Overall, in one interview, it said that Ashley and her stepdad, David, actually kind of started to get a little bit close as Ashley graduated from high school. So I think she was probably 17 or 18 and David went to Ashley's graduation and he kind of had that proud dad look on his face she said and it started to thaw between them it obviously wasn't great but you know it wasn't as contentious as it was as it had been so on the weekend of David's death Stacy reported that they had gotten into a fight because they were scheduled Stacy and David to go on like a getaway trip together and Stacy reportedly was upset because she didn't want to go on the trip because she didn't want to leave her 15-year-old daughter Bree home alone. And David was kind of upset because he had already made these plans and he was excited to go. So he went to his room with a bottle of brandy, locked the door, and he was mad. So partially why I'm unclear about this storyline is because she then tells Ashley and Bree to go to their friends' houses, which... Couldn't she have told Brie to go to her friend's house for the weekend if she was going on a getaway trip, you know? It kind of, because she didn't end up spending the weekend with her daughter anyway. Her daughter went and stayed at a friend's house, and then her other daughter, Ashley, went to a different friend's house, and then Stacy went and stayed at her friend's house. So all three girls were separated at different houses. So it just seems kind of strange that she was so interested in not leaving her daughter alone, but then she doesn't spend any of the weekend with her daughter. Yeah. Yeah, that was like the basis of the fight, and then he's alone in the room. So as the police started to investigate the crime scene, they find that on the floor next to the bed, there's an empty bottle of antifreeze. On the bedside table, there is an empty bottle of cranberry juice, an empty bottle of brandy, and two glasses. One of the glasses was empty, and then the other glass was half full with a bright lime green substance in it. Was that the antifreeze? Yes. So it was later determined that it was antifreeze. They didn't know right away that it was antifreeze, but you know... 
deductive reasoning, it makes sense that it was antifreeze. But they sent it off to the lab, and the lab determined that it was, in fact, antifreeze. So then the detectives talk to Stacy, and she tells him that David was very depressed, which has been confirmed. Documented. Yeah, because his dad had recently passed away, I think about a month before this, and he was really struggling with his dad's death. And so Mm -hmm. he was struggling in that way. And then she also said that his business was struggling, and so he was really stressed, and that maybe he had killed himself, made a rash decision while he was drinking that weekend and he was frustrated and decided to kill himself. So then investigators start to look through the rest of the house. They go to the kitchen and in the kitchen they find under some papers in the trash can a turkey baster. And it was kind of strange because A, there wasn't evidence of any cooking or no need for a turkey baster. There wasn't dishes in the sink and the turkey baster was fine. It it was functioning. So why would you throw a good turkey baster in the trash? It just yeah. did, and it it just seemed odd, and so luckily the investigator was like, "This is odd." So he pulled the turkey baster out of the trash can, and he pulled off the rubber end of the turkey baster and smelt it, and it smelt like alcohol, which could be the brandy, but could also be the antifreeze because antifreeze has alcohol in it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, and so it it's a different kind of alcohol than like brandy alcohol, but it has, right, yeah. So it has the scent of alcohol to it. So he wasn't sure, but there was liquid in the base of it. So then he decides to throw the turkey baster away. Wait, wait, wait! wait. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wait, wait. <laughs> I'm just. Kidding. Are you joking? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so funny, but I was writing. Well, you said that so perfect, deadpan, real <laughs> that like I was like. What? I was about to go off on this investigator. <laughs> no. Well done. No, he took it. <laughs> he took it for investigation. I just oh, was I was writing this and then I for some reason that popped in my head and I thought it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was. At least I thought it was. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so he collects it luckily and sends it to the lab for investigation. And then they also find that the antifreeze bottle is kind of in this weird situation. So there's a crime scene photo and there was a lot of vomit at the crime scene because you're drinking poison. Yeah, guy just probably drank antifreeze. You gonna throw up. Yeah. Yeah, so there's, you know, liquid vomit all over. So the antifreeze bottle is not only sitting on top of a pile of vomit, but there's also vomit dripping down the sheets of the bed. So in in essence, that vomit would have dripped down on top of the antifreeze bottle and there shouldn't be vomit underneath it because when you consume antifreeze, you don't start throwing up for quite a while. I mean, it's hours. And so- Oh, it, really? Yeah, and I, and I go into some details. I investigated antifreeze poisoning. So I'll go into that a little bit deeper in a second here, but- Yeah, so, but there was no vomit on the bottle, which it clearly should have had some vomit on it because it was a liquid dripping down from the sheet. So it's clear that the vomit had dried, or at least enough that it wasn't, you know. The vomit was there, and then the bottle got put on it. Exactly. Especially, which is weird, because if it really does take a couple of hours for it to hit, why would you be walking around? Unless maybe he grabbed it again, and then was like, oh, no, wait, it's working, and then put it, I don't know. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense, because by the time that you're vomiting and stuff, like, you're struggling to make any conscious decisions, so it just seemed weird. They took pictures of it. There wasn't anything they could officially make of it yet, but they were just kind of like, something's off here. There's a red flag. Yeah. So then they send David's body for an autopsy and it's determined that the cause of death is ethylene glycol poisoning, which is the ingredient in antifreeze that is what kills you. And the manner of death was ruled a suicide because based on the evidence that they had at the time, that that was the most likely conclusion. So what about the turkey baster? They hadn't gotten there yet. So luckily the police decide to continue investigating, but because this was ruled a suicide, Elizabeth <laughs> I'm still stuck in Albanese. Sorry. <laughs> Elizabeth does everything. <laughs> and, um so because it was ruled a suicide Stacy got sent a letter in the mail basically informing her of this, and so she, she didn't have anything to worry about investigation. She It was ruled a suicide, so she continued to move forward with the funeral and all of that. But the investigation continued. So I did some research on antifreeze poisoning, and now I'm probably flagged by the USA government, so if anyone around me dies of antifreeze poisoning... <laughs> well, I mean, and you were also, because of all the murderers and stuff you researched oh, yeah. on your computer, so you were already there. Oh, yeah. So... I was just fascinated because I kind of knew a lot about antifreeze poisoning from different shows, but it's kind of fascinating to look into into it a little bit deeper. So I thought I'd give you some information on it. So first, it only takes a small amount of antifreeze to kill someone, which is about two to three ounces, which is kind of crazy. 
Because that can yeah, be, that is kind of crazy. That can be easily masked, and if you were trying to commit suicide, you know, it's just a couple of shots. You know, you take more of that when you're doing like Alka-Seltzer or, uh, you know, airborne. Yeah. And so if you chug it, you know, and and it's ruled that there's over five thousand ethylene glycol poisonings a year in the United States, and a lot of them are because of self-inflicted suicides. Mm. Which is kind of fascinating. Yeah. So ethylene glycol is a colorless and odorless liquid and that has a sweet taste to it. So the government and antifreeze corporations added color to it and also a bitter taste to try and avoid consumption. But this didn't really change the amounts of ethylene glycol poisoning. Ah. So it's easier to detect. But, you know, if you're mixing it with alcohol, alcohol already tastes like shit. <laughs> So what is, adding a, <laughs> what is adding a little bit more shit to it? Right. So the symptoms of antifreeze poisoning kind of go in stages. And they're very similar to alcohol poisoning. It kind of mimics alcohol poisoning. So the initial stages of symptoms include headache, fatigue, lack of coordination, grogginess, slurred speech, nausea, and vomiting. So very similar to alcohol poisoning or too much alcohol consumption. And all around gross. Yes. So then the symptoms get worse. So luckily it's said that you can go to the doctor relatively quick after this. So if you find out that someone near you tried to commit suicide or accidentally got drank it, I don't know, like a child maybe, if you get them to the doctor around this stage, it's very good outlook and that there's a lot of reasons like antidotes. So if you get them in the first stage, it's pretty easy to catch, Save but them. you need to know that they've been poisoned. Yeah. And... Most hospitals aren't equipped with an ethylene glycol like test, so it's very hard to detect if you don't know that's what's been given to you, mm. which I found kind of fascinating. Because in order to stop this and get the help right away, you need to know what they consumed. Right, and it's typical of most poisons. Exactly. So overall, it's a very painful way to die, and if anyone knows anything about antifreeze deaths, it's like, w there's so many better ways to... Yeah, it's not a nice way to die. Yes. It's going to be painful. It's going to be messy. You're going to suffer. And long, yeah. This usually occurs over several hours and days, so it isn't evident right away. It's kind of just like sickness or alcohol poisoning. And the reason that it's so deadly is because the body starts to absorb and metabolize the antifreeze, the ethylene glycol, and it converts the chemical into other toxic chemicals such as oh. acetone and formaldehyde. Uh-oh. Those are not good for you. No. And death does not occur until 24 to 72 hours after the consumption. And the reason that you die is due to organ failure. And that's why it takes so long for you to die because you have to go through these stages of symptoms and then it gets to a point where your organs start to fail. Huh. And the main organs that start to fail are first your kidney and your brain because it causes a crystallization in your blood system and it sends those crystallizations into your kidney and into your brain. Ew. Yes, and that's the most evident information in an autopsy that a coroner could find because those crystals are not natural in the body and they're easy to detect once you know that that's a possibility. Yeah. And because in this situation, they knew that this. Because the antifreeze is right next to yes, him. Yes, exactly. And so they looked and they found the crystallization. And I guess the crystallization is similar to kidney stones because it is a calcium component, which is what mm. causes kidney stones. But it's crystallized instead of like hard rocks. Gotcha. Okay. So if he were to be poisoned, you like so if he were poisoned to be 24 to 72, not like the story is that he went into the room pissed and then a couple of days later she realized he was dead or like he, he they went to go realize he was dead. So like he would have had to like drink it when he got in there and then suffered all that time and, and not. Well, I guess if she wasn't there, she doesn't know if he left. Well, she said that she supposedly. Can, yes. So she said that she went in and checked on him throughout the weekend and I guess listened to the door and heard him snoring and assumed that he was fine. But then when he didn't show up to work that morning at 7 a.m., she waited until 2 a.m. to call 911 and she called 911 from her job as opposed to calling from her house. She was just kind of strange. Wait, 2 a.m. she called? She called? Did I say that? No, sorry, 2 p.m. So he doesn't show oh, up. Oh, okay, 2 p.m. Yeah, so he doesn't show up at 7 for his usual shift. And he owns the company, so, like, that's strange. And he didn't call in or anything, and so at 2 p.m. she calls. And she said that she continued to call him throughout the morning, and he didn't answer, so that's why she called 911. So what causes the crystals is called calcium oxalate, which is what you find when you're doing an autopsy. Mm. 
And I guess these crystallizations remain in the kidney after death for a number of years. So that's why, like, when they exhume bodies, they can find the crystallization in the kidney right away. Okay, and confirm that, yeah, that was the cause of death. Exactly. And like I said, I'm not a doctor. I was like, I'm like everyone. I am almost a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) With WebMD, we're all almost doctors. (laughs) So back to the case. Stacy tells her daughters that her stepdad is dead and they're kind of shocked and don't understand why he would have killed himself. It just didn't seem like he was that far off the edge. But they knew that people kill themselves every day and that maybe, you know, in a lot of cases, people had no idea that they were planning on killing themselves. So they're kind of like shocked but they understood that it's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then they started investigating and talking to other relatives of David. They talked to his sister, his ex-wife, and the son from the previous relationship. And they were like, first of all, I don't think he would kill himself. He's a very fun-loving guy. He loves his snowmobiles and his toys and his job is stressful, but like he was still doing just fine. And he didn't tell anyone that he was feeling this way. And so they were kind of like, this just doesn't seem right. And they said that he knew that antifreeze was not like a fun way to die because not only did he work with antifreeze all the time with his toys but also he had watched true crime shows and so I think he knew more about antifreeze than the traditional person because he had seen shows like us and he kind of knew the basics about antifreeze poisoning yeah that makes sense but the whole thing where people are like no he seemed fine or like see people have depression and I think can fake it Mm -hmm. yeah like fake that they're not depressed and so if people aren't looking sometimes people it's very well that he could be in like that they didn't know Exactly. Yeah. He could have just been really good at hiding it. That's why it was still ruled a suicide. And so they were just kind of investigating because the investigators said that they kind of have that sixth sense. Yeah. So they had a funeral for David and started to move on again as a family. And so it was just three girls again and things kind of started to go back to normal and they thought that this was all behind them. But like I said, after the autopsy, they investigated and talked to Stacy, and they were really confused by one statement that Stacy said. First, she said that she thinks David got the idea to kill himself with antifreeze because earlier that week they had watched a story on TV, a true crime story, about a woman who killed two of her husbands with antifreeze and that he might have gotten the idea from that. I mean, we haven't got to, I mean, whatever, (laughs) but it sounds like that's more of the idea how you got, how you got the idea to kill your husband. And that's why they were so confused because they knew that her first husband had died of a heart attack. So they were just like, um, okay. And also she didn't refer to antifreeze correctly. She kept calling it antifree, which there's a reason they fucking call it antifreeze because that's what it's for. So why are you calling it antifree? I mean, unless it was people have gaps in their knowledge and they think something is called something and it's like she's misheard it her whole life. Yeah, but for some reason it really pisses me off. And she's hearing the investigators say antifreeze, so she's... And then she's still not, like, amending themselves herself to, like, the way other people are saying it. She's (laughs) She's not picking up on it. So they take all the information that she said and they said that she told them that she continuously called David that morning and she was really concerned about him, but they got a subpoena for her cell phone records and found out that she actually had only called him once that morning and she never actually called him the several times that she told the police that she had called him. I mean, I don't know if she liked true crime like he did. But if it sounds like if they actually watch things together, they can, you should be able to know that they can record that stuff and subpoena that stuff and get those records. So if you say, like, if you're going to say that you called somebody a hundred times, you better call them a hundred times to prove that you did it. Not trying to help anybody, you know, commit crimes or anything. <laughs> but. Yeah, she's kind of an idiot in multiple aspects. So then the lab also comes back with information about what they found at the crime scene. And they found that on the glass of of alcohol that was empty. David's fingerprints were all over it. But on the glass of antifreeze, no David's fingerprints, all Stacy's fingerprints. Bum, bum, bum. And it's not like you pour someone a glass of antifreeze and then just drop it <laughs> off at their bedroom. Or like that was the one he was like, well, I, I want to do this with my sleeves. And yeah. he takes it and he like double hands it with his <laughs> sleeves on his hands like a child. He uses medical <laughs> gloves. So they're kind of like, 
Um, what the fuck? And then they look at the turkey baster and David's DNA is on the tip, like he put it in his mouth. And police were like, why would you slowly drop or slowly suck antifreeze out of a turkey baster when you have a You have a glass right there. And why was the turkey baster in the trash? Like you're locking yourself in the bedroom, you're leaving the antifreeze all over the place, not hiding anything, but you're putting the turkey baster in the trash? Yeah. So they were just confused about that. And then the antifreeze under the bed, I was telling you about the vomit. It was just very, that didn't seem right as well. And another thing that's just weird is she buried both of her husbands side by side with- Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. So it literally was Michael Wallace next to David Castor. And I think there was a plot for her in the middle for like when she dies. Whoa. It just seems strange. Just that's weird. It's just gr- I don't know. It makes me I don't like that at all. I know. And the police didn't like that either. Then they are working through the arrangements after David's death and the will left everything to Stacy and nothing to his son. And the family was like, what the fuck? It makes no sense. He was close with his son. He had this business that he ran and he left the entire business to Stacy. He left all of his assets to Stacy and it just seemed weird. And he was, he had a good relationship with the son. He had a strained re- relationship with his son and I think it had a lot to do with Stacy. And Stacy was kind of isolating him from the family. So his son was confused but was like, I guess he thought we were in a bad place and a much worse place than I thought we were. Mm. So he was upset by it but like people make... It was just enough doubt to be like well it very well could be that he did that so then they investigate the will and they found out that it was actually signed after david's death but it was backdated by one of stacy's friends and stacy's friend forged the signature oh and i think they found this out because stacy's friend confessed to it but there's no clear way how they found this out I can't. So she messed with the will. Yes. So investigators start wiretapping and surveilling Stacy's house as well as her husband's graves because they wanted to see if Stacy ever showed up to their graves, especially around the anniversaries of their deaths or if she left flowers on their graves or ever visited and she didn't. So they were kind of like, oh, you know, it's not, it's just kind of like one of those things that on top of everything else is just weird. Yeah. So through the investigation, they started to look into Michael's death one more time. So they ask for his medical records and they start looking through and he was like really healthy. There was no evidence of heart problems before this. There was no evidence of any organ problems. He was very healthy and he was only like 40 or 50. So it didn't make sense that he just had this heart attack out of nowhere. So they get the court order to get his body resumed. Resumed. He came back to life and now he's a zombie. (laughs) Get a court order to have his body exhumed and they do an actual autopsy. So at the time of his death, they never did an autopsy because it was ruled a natural death due to a heart attack. So they exhume his body and they find crystals in his kidney. What? Who would have thought? And so it's obvious that it his was a homicide and it's obvious that there's no coincidence in that two of her husbands died of this so they no longer believed there was any way that david's could have been a suicide right so then they bring her back in for questioning and they're talking to her she's denying everything and then she says the i called him several times that day again and then the detective decides to show her the cell phone records and says you only called him once so you're blatantly lying to me so then she lawyers up, says she doesn't want to talk to them anymore, and leaves. Then she goes home and she tells Ashley that they are investigating her for the death of her husbands. And Ashley was upset because she was like, my mom would never do this. And I can't believe they would exhume my dad's body. And it was inhumane. And he had died and it was ruled a natural death. So she was very upset. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So Ashley was at school at the time. She was studying accounting at a community college, I think. So at the college, you had to sign in for attendance. So you would go to the main office, you would sign in when you started taking your classes, and I'm guessing you would maybe sign out. There was no clear sign out procedure, but I think you had to sign in for most of your classes, like the individual classes. And I think it was more like high school in the fact that she would have multiple classes like a day. So she would have a full load. 
a full class load. Yeah, and it sounded like she would be in class from like 8 to 3 or something like that. When she's at the attendance office, the attendance lady is like, you need to talk to investigators. They're here to see you. So the detectives pull her out of her class and they tell Ashley that we found crystals in your dad's kidneys and he was murdered. He didn't have a heart attack. And Ashley is pissed and she's kind of like shaken by Why would they tell her that at school? I know. I think they just wanted to get her away from her mom and kind of just ask, like kind of show her that they didn't do this on a whim and that they were right about this and that she kind of needed to wake up because all of the information at the time she was getting from her mom. Uh, Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, so after this, the wiretaps actually see that Ashley called Stacy and she was upset. She was like, they came to my school and her mom was upset. So her mom came and took her home. And she said, we've had a long day. Let's get wasted together. No! (laughs) Ashley was really upset and she's like, let's just get drunk. And Ashley wasn't 21 at the time. She was, I think, almost 21, but she wasn't supposed to be drinking. I mean... It's your parents. I mean... Yeah, and that's what she said. I was, like, super excited because, you know, kids don't get a drink with their parents, and and this is awesome. So she went home, and she started drinking with her mom. She had some vodka. She was drinking out of the bottle. I think she had some Smirnoffs, and she started to get really sick and throwing up, and and her mom gave her pills and told her to go to sleep. She woke up the next morning, probably just with a hangover, went to school, and then that day she got another call from her mom and said, let's drink again today, you know, let's have some fun, blow off some steam again, and I want to celebrate your 21st birthday because I might not be around to celebrate it because I think, like, she might be with friends or with, at school or whatever. So recording at a liquor store shows Stacy going into the liquor store and buying liquor for her and her daughter, like the, what they drank that night. Or that afternoon. I think it was noon when they started drinking. They're drinking together and Stacy makes Ashley a drink. And the drink is really odd tasting. And her mom's like, you need to keep stirring it because it's Sprite and vodka. And the Sprite settles. And so you need to keep stirring it so that it gets all mixed together. And Ashley was like drinking it. She was like gagging. And she was like, this is gross. Like, I can't drink this. And her mom was like, oh, you know, alcohol's gross. But it get, like you get drunk and drunk is fun or whatever. And so she teaches Ashley this trick. She says take the straw, put it in the back of your throat so you like taste it on your taste buds as well. And then just start chugging it so that you can get drunker faster without tasting the nastiness. So Ashley does it because it works and that's what your mom's telling you to. Yeah. 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 So she did that and then she started to feel very sleepy and very drunk right away after just the first drink. So Ashley tells her, I'm really tired. So she's in bed by 1.30 p.m. And she's sleeping it off. The night goes by. She's still sleeping. And then Ashley's sister Bree goes into her room to talk to her to wake her up or ask for something. And she sees Ashley with her eyes glassy. Her eyes were open, but she wasn't responding. She was drooling. Her mouth was oddly open and she looked like she couldn't breathe and she was making weird noises. So Bree screams and calls her mom and says, mom, something's wrong with Ashley and her mom comes running in and Bree's freaking out and tells her like tells her mom to call 911 and her mom was kind of like loitering and like not loitering lingering and just not stalling and not yeah and so Bree's like fucking call 911 her mom calls 911 which is all recorded and she says oh my gosh my daughter took a bunch of these pills she drank a whole bottle of vodka and I think she can't breathe and I can't believe this is happening and blah 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 so ambulance come and get Ashley and her heart rate is through the roof like beating like crazy she's not responsive and she's coming in and out of consciousness so they rush her to the hospital and they were able to I think like pump her stomach or something and help with her heart rate and they said that they were so lucky that Brie found her right at that moment because they said like 10 minutes later she would have been dead because because of her erratic heartbeat so while she's in the hospital she ends up waking up the next day so the next on Friday I don't think she was out for very long but she said she woke up and she was like out of it and everything was blurry and she had tunnel vision and she went to like move and her arms were strapped down I think more because of the suicide attempt than like Police. What they thought was, yeah. yeah. 
it turns out that Brie had actually found a letter next to, to Ashley's head. And so she opened the letter and she starts reading it and she sees that it's like a suicide note. So all of a sudden her mom like takes it out of her hands and is on the phone with 911 and mentions that there's a letter and, you know, doesn't call it like a suicide note, keeps referring to it as a letter. So her mom's like, I think she tried to commit suicide. She took all of these Ambien. And when she's in the hospital, she comes to, and I guess this police officer is like yelling at her, but the police officer was just questioning her. So it's kind of unclear if he was like yelling at her. So he asks her like, what did you take? Why did you do this? What about the letter? When did you write the letter? And in the letter, it said, I'm so sorry, mommy. I killed my dad and my stepdad. <laughs> with Anna Free and they she keeps referring to it as Anna Free and it's like a huge letter it's like 750 words a whole page like please Holy don't shit. hate me i know that the police think that you did this and i can't let that go any longer because i did it and blah 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 blah, blah. so the police are like why did you kill your stepdad and your dad and so she keeps saying i don't know what the fuck you're talking about i didn't try to kill myself. I didn't write that letter. I didn't try to kill anybody. She said, I, I was drinking with my mom. I all of a sudden got really tired. And then I woke up the next day in the hospital. Police can tell that there's like a look of confusion and shock on her face. And they, they know that something's not right because- They can tell it's genuine. Yeah. Like that she doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And so her mom's in that lobby with her younger sister, Brie. And I guess Brie was like, why like her mom was freaking out and like shaking and like so angry that they wouldn't let her into the hospital room Bree was like why are you acting so fucking weird like we'll get to see her soon so her mom eventually comes into the room and she's like oh my gosh I'm so worried about you blah 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 and Ashley starts to kind of put together that like something isn't right here she knows that her mom did something I can't imagine that, like, being in a situation where two father figures have died and then to be smashed with the idea that it was your mom who did it and then all of a sudden be aware that your mom is trying to kill you and trying to pin murder on you. Because at that point, she confirms to Ashley that she had something to do with all of these. Yeah, yep. And her mom's, like, denying everything, but she's like, this is fucked up. At this time, they see that this all this weird shit is happening. So they actually arrest Stacy and they arrest her for multiple counts, but mainly the murder of David Castor. So they bring her in, she's put in jail, and then they start investigating the deaths. They're pretty sure Stacy had something to do with this, but they knew they needed to rule out Ashley as having a potential had something to do with this. They start investigating Ashley to kind of rule her out just in case she had a possible. Yeah, they do have to rule her out. So the first thing that they thought was really odd is that Ashley was only 11 when her dad died. So she tried to kill her dad. Not only supposedly, she, yeah, yeah. Not only would she not know what Anna Freeze was because she's not, she doesn't have a car, and nobody like. Uh, of course, she wouldn't know what it was because she thinks because her mom teaches her that it's Anna Freeze. <laughs> exactly. And so she not only had to get a hold of Anna Freeze, but she had to know what it did, and she had to put it in her dad's drink. So it just didn't seem possible. Highly unlikely. Yes. Stacy continues to point the finger at Ashley while she's in jail. Ashley's just like getting pissed. This case is brought to trial. And obviously the defense is like totally pointing the finger at Ashley because Ashley had like a contentious relationship with her stepdad and not a great relationship with her dad because she felt like an outsider because he loved Brie more. So they tell her that that's why Ashley killed her dad and her stepdad. They also find a letter that Ashley had written to her ex-boyfriend long ago when her dad died of the heart attack that she had thought about suicide and that she wanted to be with her dad. So they were trying to prove that she was suicidal and that her mom didn't attempt to hurt her, that she had actually tried to commit suicide because she had suicidal ideation in the past. Yeah, when she was 11 after the death of her father and now she's 18. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That does, yeah. At this point, the family has started to take sides and most people are on the side of Ashley, but the only person that's not on the side of Ashley that I'm aware of is Stacy's mom. So Stacy's mom is also pointing the finger at Ashley. Then the prosecution kind of puts together their case and their case relies heavily on opportunity and motive because Ashley didn't get much out of the deaths. The only thing she got out of them is that she got to be with her sibling and mom alone. Like if she really, mm. like if she really wanted to kill them, the only thing she would have gotten out of it was them being gone. There was no financial thing for her. And Stacy had the opportunity and the motive because she was in the house when both of them died. She was an adult. There was just more evidence against 
Stacy. Yeah, a lot more. Then they start dissecting the suicide note, in quotes, suicide note. It's all typed. There's no handwritten, there's no signature, and it has, like, no personal touches. It doesn't talk about, like, anything besides the murders. They take the note to be fingerprinted, and the only fingerprints on the note is Stacy's. Ashley's fingerprints aren't on the note at all. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. She's so going to get hit twice with that mistake. The defense attorney is like, well, she handled the letter when she called 911. So they kind of try to like brush that Yeah, but off. it would have Ashley's on it if it mm-hmm. was truly Ashley's. Exactly. Was this a typed letter or was it handwritten? Totally typed. <laughs> Not suspicious at all. Exactly. And so then they take a look at the hard drive on the family computer. The great thing about Microsoft Word is that it auto-saves everything just in case your computer crashes and then you get that like note, we have this auto-saved folder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess they said that Ashley never used Microsoft Word, which that makes no sense to me because she was a student. Wait, yeah. yeah. What year was this? 2010. It was 2010 because that's when... The okay, tra- then how would she not be... How does she not use that like a word? I don't know. They kind of just like slid that in there. <laughs> and I guess there was profiles on the computer. You know how like each profile has the picture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so they noticed that when this letter was written, it was logged in as Stacy. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> they also see the timing of the drafts of the letter. So it was saving... Like this had been written three times. There was two drafts and then the one final copy. So it seems weird that you would write a suicide note and then like edit and change it and then rewrite it you know I don't know that doesn't really seem weird to me if it's the last thing I'm leaving on this earth you better be sure it's gonna be awesome So they're just kind of like confused about that. And then they look at the timestamps of all the autosave. And it was in the afternoon when Ashley was at school. So there was like no way. She signed in for attendance that day. She was in classes. Mm, so there's proof. Yes. So that uh, kids when you're in school and you're wondering why do we have to sign in? That's so stupid. <laughs> it could help just prove that you are a murderer. Exactly. Even after all of that, they found a call that Stacy had made to someone around the time that this letter had been written. And in the background of this tapped phone call is the sound of typing. <gasps> I don't know why, but that just freaked me the hell out. <laughs> uh, that that just like, oh, I don't know. Like that, that, that just like gets me in my coochie. I don't know. That it just it's weird. <laughs> it is. Oh, that's so creepy. Yeah. You can hear the clickety, clickety, click. Oh, my God. And she has, like, no idea. She's, like, talking on her phone with her friend her no idea her mom is planning her death behind her. Exactly. So all of this evidence. Oh, and the note, the suicide note, like I said, contained only antifree. It never said antifreeze, and it was said, like, four times. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. I'm stupid. Who was on the phone? Stacy. Stacy was talking to a friend. I don't know why I thought it was Ashley who was on the phone, but we already established that Ashley was in class. So Stacy is on the phone and she's talking. So, okay, now we go. I'm going to amend that fucked upness too. She is writing her daughter's fake suicide note while on the phone with a friend. Yeah, they don't say who she's on the phone with, but I'm just assuming it was a friend. That's messed up. Yep. And so the Anna Free continued to be a thing, and that's how Stacy referred to it. So it just seemed strange that you would say it that many times with an incorrect statement that your mom makes. Now, maybe she learned it from her mom, but still. Like the test to see if it really was her. They, they come in to interrogate her, and they just try to get her to naturally say antifreeze <laughs> or antifree just to see which one she uses. I know. That would, be, <laughs> that would definitely be an interesting test. That would be on an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, <laughs> I can see that plot line just happening. <laughs> Jake in the interrogation room just trying to get and he would point at the bottle and be like what is this (laughs) (laughs) say the name of this oh that's funny Yes. So the prosecution actually calls Ashley first. They're the first, she's the first witness. So they ask her questions like, did you kill them? Blah, blah, blah. Did you write the suicide note? Were you suicidal? Blah, blah, blah. And she tells the story of her relationship with her dad and her stepdad. And she's, you know, very good on the witness stand. She gets cross-examined. They ask her about the suicide note, but Ashley continues to say, I did not do this. So then the defense calls Stacy. So Stacy actually testifies at the hearing. She points the finger at Ashley the entire time. And she was unemotional. She was stoic. She was strange. She, you know, like we said, grieving and, and, and dealing with a stressful situation. And you can't ever really, like, go off of this information. But it just seemed weird that she was so unemotional about not only her two husbands dying, but her, in her mind, her daughter trying to kill herself and all of this. So after three days 
of jury deliberation, they come back with a verdict, and she is found guilty on all three counts. So second-degree murder of David, attempted murder of Ashley, and then forgery because of the will. Mm. Wow, okay. So they didn't believe her shit at all. The jury is interviewed and they said they didn't believe Stacy. She wasn't credible. When they asked her like questions on the stand, she just came across as cold and they just didn't believe a thing. So Ashley, her sister Bree, and then Mike and David's families were like so relieved that this was over and that they got the right person. And then the only person who was devastated by this was Stacy's mom. And she like thoroughly believes that Ashley did this. So then Ashley, before sentencing, gave her victim impact statement with her sister Brie by her side, and she was very emotional, and so was Brie. And she basically said, like, Mom, I hate you, and I can't believe you would do this to me, and you tried to kill me, and I hate you, and I hope I never have to speak with you again. This is goodbye. I, like, still am so confused because I loved you, and we were best friends, and then now I hate you, and I can't believe you would do this to me. Wow. Yeah, then the sentencing came and the judge was very, I really liked his, you know, they always say what they feel before they give the sentence. Like he said, you're so cold, you killed both of your loved ones. And I go through murder cases all the time, but this one, not only did you try to frame your daughter, but you tried to kill her. And so he kind of went off and was like, I hate you. (laughs) Obviously he didn't say that, but he's like, go fuck yourself. And he sentenced her to the maximum sentence, which was 50 years in prison with the possibility of parole after the 50 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then the judge asked Stacy if she had anything to say to, like, cover for herself, and she said no. And so she was taken back and sent to prison. So the only time Stacy ever talked about this case is when she was interviewed for 2020. And the interview is very uncomfortable, and I just don't like it. She's still stoic, still cold. She, like, tries to get emotional when she's talking about her daughters and how they haven't come to visit her, and she was concerned about them, and she loved them, but she still basically pointed the finger at Ashley without saying it in most situations. Like, I know I didn't do this. They were Mm. like, do you think Ashley did this? And she would be like, well, I didn't do this. So I think she was trying to come off as being a good mom still and saying, I didn't do this, so Ashley had to do this, but I'm not going to flat out say that Ashley did this. Right. She mainly said that she thinks the jury was biased and they went off of her emotion and that they shouldn't have gone off her lack of emotion and blah, blah, blah. So she was kind of upset with the jury and was ready for her appeals. And then in 2016, she was found dead in her cell. Whoa. And it is said that she died of a heart attack and that there was no evidence of suicide or foul play. That's kind of like fitting that she's like her first husband gets ruled as a heart attack and she actually killed him and then she dies of a heart attack. Exactly. Like it's payback. Payback is one bitch like you, Stacy Caster. So then there's also a Forensic Files episode which goes more into the antifreeze finding the crystals and then goes into the letter. And then there's a Snapped as well. So I'll put those episodes information in the description bar in case anyone wants to watch it. So just to go into a little bit of the victim's background, Mike was a fun-loving guy. He was the life of the party. Around the time of his death, he was turning his life around, becoming a family man, really loved his daughters, was really close with his daughter, Bree, and seemed to be a really good guy. And yeah. Yeah, from reports of his daughters and his family, he seemed to be a pretty good father and husband and overall a good guy. So for David, like I said, he owned his own business and he was really successful. He owned a heating and air company. He really liked his business. He was a really hard worker. He was a wonderful husband. He doted on his wife. He had a son who he really loved. He had some flaws, but overall was a good person and definitely didn't deserve to die in the painful way that he died. It just was a tragedy all around. Yeah. He didn't have a chance to prove if he really could turn it around and make it work. Exactly. Both were taken so soon and people and their problems with divorce, it's like, just leave, get a divorce. I don't understand And, like, she didn't get that much for either of the deaths. Like, for Mike Wallace, she got $50,000. And then for David Castor, she got about $200,000 because of his, like, assets. 
Whoa. So $200,000 for David is a lot, but on the scale of like how much you can get, like some people get, it's not any, it's not worth taking another life. Exactly. So anywho, I hope that you like this. I'm going to post the suicide letter, the quote unquote suicide letter, so you can kind of read it and see what you think. But what do you think of the case? She's referred to as a black widow. That's the name of the 2020 episode. Black Widow baby. And so I was, I literally sang that in my head all day today. I was like, oh my God, get this out. I mean, I'd have to agree. I think this is a really interesting one. Yeah. And like, even though you kind of know where it's going, you can kind of figure it out before. It still has some twists and turns. Like, I can't believe that somebody would try to frame their daughter and then kill their daughter. That's just so dark and twisted and just messed up. So I think these girls are better off without their mom. Like, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. they lost their dads. You know, even if the they weren't the greatest relationships. It's still hard. But, wow, that yeah. was a ride. Yeah, and Ashley said in her victim impact statement that you've made me an orphan. Even yeah. though I'm not a child, you took away my dad, my stepdad, and now I'm losing you. And he tried to kill me. Like, So I'm glad that you liked it, even though it's terrible. <laughs> right? That, that, that seems to sum up every single one of these stories. Exactly. So let's do our little epitaph for this evening. So this is the epitaph for Andrew J. Olzak. Olzak. So he lived... Not young Zach. <laughs> yes, he lived an old time ago. He was born in 1895 and lived until 1979. So he lived a pretty long life. Yeah. Like 80 years? 84 years? I'm not good at math. <laughs> <laughs> so his says... Abandoned in old age by wife and children, may God be more understanding and merciful. (laughs) I want to know so much more. Were you a terrible person and that's why you were abandoned? Like, ah, I want to know so much about their relationship. Yeah. (laughs) I just think that it's a... Like, I wonder who paid for that headstone and, like, who who did it. That's the thing. Like, all of these funny, like, whimsical, you know, whatever headstones or ones that do this chuckle i always forget that somebody else had to do that and to like either know somebody well enough to know that was okay or not give enough fucks mm-hmm. to care or he wrote it in like his will or in his like if that's what he wanted yeah yeah, yeah. yep and someone had to pay for it <laughs> so yeah that's wow. our epitaph for this evening that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna make something weird up and make you have to pay for it <laughs> Okay, as long as I'm mentioned as your beautiful best friend and loving human being as Stevie, your B-B-B-B-B-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-